When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome inside the Jin Jag podcast. What a day it has been in Jacksonville. The Jaguars announced their coaching staff finally. Seems like it's been months. Urban Meyer's just been uh, working away, getting his coaching staff in place. And you kind of see why the Jaguars have 28 coaches on the staff. So we'll get into the coaching staff, obviously. I'm Jordan DeLugo, joined as always by Jeremy Markoski. How the heck are you doing, bud? Doing fantastic. Um, a little bit sad, you know. It's it's always a sad day when the football season comes to a close, and the Super Bowl is is both the best day of the year and the worst day of the year because now I've got to figure out what I'm going to do for the next six months. Obviously, I'm going to keep up with free agency, keep up with the draft, and all that good stuff. But there's nothing like you know the football time of the year, and I'm ready to get back to it already. Yeah, it's it's going to be a fun off season for sure and yeah, it'll be great just to get once we get into September, really get into football again. But long way, long way to go till then. We've got free agency, we've got the draft, we've got all sorts of stuff. We'll see how the off season works out in terms of is it going to be uh is it going to be remote pretty much like it was last year? It's kind of looking like we're leaning that direction, but we'll see. But yeah, today we're going to talk about this coaching staff. We're going to talk about some free agent and draft philosophy uh, for this offseason specifically and, and in general. So we'll have a lot of fun today. Uh, make sure to check out genjag.com to keep up with all the latest Jaguars news and analysis and to get all your Duval merch. We just dropped our last our last winter drop of the season. Um, earlier this week, we've got the Death by Duval hoodie. Go check that out at ginjag.com. Of course, big thank you to Bold City Brewery. Make sure to check them out of their downtown location on East Bay Street and at the Riverside Tap Room on Roselle. So not a whole lot of news outside of the coaching staff, which of course is massive news. But Trevor Lawrence is throwing for NFL teams Friday morning at 10 a.m. Um, that'll be interesting. Hopefully we'll be able to to check that out and see how that goes. I don't think he needs to be throwing at all. And uh, obviously, if you haven't heard by now, he is uh, getting surgery done on his left shoulder, which is his non-throwing shoulder, torn labrum. So that'll keep him out for for a couple months at least. But he should be good to go by the time the Jaguars are getting hot and heavy into practice. Uh, Do you have any thoughts on that? He's going to skip the 
Clemson Pro Day and throw for the NFL early so he can go get that surgery done. No, it makes sense. It's definitely the best way to go about this. Um, it's exactly what I would do if I were him. Like I said, there's no real reason for him to throw. You've seen everything you needed over the past few years. He's going to be the guy. But, you know, get yourself right. Get yourself, you know, in front of the coaches one last time and then go get your shoulder taken care of and make yourself ready for the offseason protocol because that's going to be the biggest start, obviously, to his career and to every NFL prospects career, but this year it's going to be a little bit different again. Like you said, it might be remote. Uh, you know, there might be some things that are going to be a little bit different um, from the NFL in the past. Hopefully, we kind of get back to some normalcy by then, but it's going to be very important. So, he needs to make sure that he's fully ready, uh, fully attentive to those offseason protocols. So, he'll get that short taken care of now. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's obviously last, that came out last Friday, I believe. And so, it was a big deal for a lot of people. I think it's much ado about nothing, honestly. It's it's not a it's not his throwing shoulder. It's not a major, major surgery. It's not gonna keep him out for like a year or anything like that. He'll be ready to go for the season. So no worries on that front. Um and then the Jaguars, they did release Kamale Correa today, traded for him during the season last year with the Titans, basically gave the Titans a free six round pick there because Correa did not do a whole lot in Jacksonville and now he's gone. But it was just a six-round pick, and the Jaguars, as as many people know, they do have eleven picks in the upcoming draft. So it's not as if they really needed that pick. Yeah, like you said, you know they don't need the pick really, and there's probably not a spot uh, on the roster for that guy, uh, most likely anyway. Correa or the six-round pick. You know the Jaguars are actually going to be at a point this year where they can be very selective about who makes the roster um, with the amount of picks that they have, and then you know obviously. Um, how we think they should attack free agency, which we'll get into a little bit later. Uh, so it's really not much of a loss there at all, like you said. It, yeah, I guess the only way you could look at it um, is if, you know, trade up value, they could use that pick to leverage and, and get higher draft picks. But again, not a huge deal when you have 11 picks. Uh, so not great. Not a great move by Dave Caldwell, but again, not something to worry about too much. Now, the Jaguars finally announced their coaching staff today, as we said uh, earlier. And I think we'd be remiss to not start with Chris Doyle. He's going to be the head of their sports performance program, which is basically like nutrition, training, conditioning, all that type of stuff. Um, he was fired from Iowa after accusations of racially biased behavior. He also ran his players so ragged earlier in the decade that uh, 13 of them had to receive medical treatment for a condition caused by stress to the body. I mean, my goodness. I don't know how to defend this, Jeremy. You really can't. Um, and I want to, before I even get into this, preface it with saying that in no way, shape, or form do I condone or agree with this hiring. Um, I just, it's a terrible look for one. Um, and that's besides the point, you know, it's, it's in the, in today's climate, in today's culture, we need to be held responsible for our actions uh, and our choices. Um, you know, Iowa felt that his actions, his choices, uh, whatever went on, um, was not to be condoned and, and resulted in his removal, um, you know, mutual or however you want to look at it, his removal from the program, uh, probably a lot later than it should have happened to be quite honest. So, you know, up until today, I've really liked everything urban has done so far for the most part, but this one's really just a head scratcher. And, and, you know, Doyle's not going to be a guy who is going to be heavily, 
um, involved in player to player relations or player to coach relations. He's going to be pretty much designing the program that Schlegel is going to be, uh, you know, working these guys through. But again, it's just, it's a bad look. It's a bad look. The team is starting over. You're rebranding. You're giving yourself a new image. So I just don't understand why this is the route they took. And this is the avenue that Urban went down. It's just, it's not a good look. If you have seen Twitter today or have seen any uh, sports media outlet at all whatsoever, it's all been about the Jaguars and the questionable decision that was made today to allow this man on the staff. And if you're Shad Khan, Tony Khan, anybody involved, Trent Balky, you just I, I don't understand how it went through that many levels of quote-unquote vetting from Urban Meyer and still was a decision that was respectably come to in the organization. It, it just it baffles me. It, it doesn't make any sense, and I am totally against it. I think by tomorrow he should no longer be on the staff. It shouldn't take a media uproar uh to do something like that, but that's what needs to be done. It, it, it just can't happen. It can't be. I agree with you. Um, you know, the NFL talks about ending racism and player safety, but then this is allowed. Uh, it's unbelievable. And then the lack of transparency from Urban Meyer today, he kind of deflected all the questions about Doyle's character. Um, and that's really upsetting, too, because you have a regime that last year you had the team the team organized a peaceful protest. And then you had the Leonard Fournette protest last offseason as well that was a peaceful protest that so many players were involved with. And you have a team that the Jaguars were the first pro team to ever do something like that. Um as an organization and now you've you've hired someone who's blatantly racist and you can't even dive deep into why you've made this decision how you came to this decision why you think it's okay i mean you know it's an indefensible decision but at least if you were transparent about it and maybe you you had some ideas to share about giving second chances and that Doyle has learned and been educated about how he was acting in a racist manner and that he's you know sincerely sorry for how he treated people but there's none of that so not only are you hiring a racist a known racist and bring him into your program, but you're not even you're not even offering any sort of remorse for it, any sort of clarity on why the decision was made, and that makes it stink even worse, in my opinion. But that's who Urban Meyer is. He's going to do anything he can do to win, and he believes Doyle is the man to help them do that. He said in his press conference today he thinks Doyle will have the Jaguars as the top team in the NFL when it comes to sports performance within two years. I would love it if um, if the media and fans and all this backlash actually did did make an impact and the Jaguars you know, decided to steer away from this decision, but I don't get the idea that that Urban Meyer is going to do that. They pr- I really yeah, don't. Yeah, they probably won't. I mean, that's what the NFL is. Um, it's always been something that I've thought, you know, has been a flaw of the National Football League, and it's the willingness 
to give second chances to those who don't deserve it in in many many cases um and you know so so we're, so we're only talking about the one right here. I won't go off into a tangent on, on any of the other examples, but like you said, it's just, it's, it's a guy who should not get another chance. If everything that's been said about him is true. And I have no reason to believe it's not, you haven't seen any other players, former coaches. Nobody has come out to defend this guy. Usually when you see stuff like this come out in the media, um, you know, reports come out like this, somebody will come to somebody's defense It hasn't happened at all. And like you said, the lack of transparency in today's press conference further rubbed me the wrong way, just as it did you. But my thought process is if you're going to hire this guy and you know you're going to have to face the music, then you should have done all the quote-unquote vetting and had that available to the press. You know, hey, I've spoken with former players who were around this guy, and the reports I've gotten refute those in the media. You know, maybe it was a misunderstanding. You know, maybe he had a bad relationship with a guy or two, but here is, you know, the good things. He's had good relationships with his players. Coaches like him, players like him. You know, there's none of that. So nothing today made me look at this and rethink the situation. It's a terrible, terrible situation, a terrible hire, a terrible look. Yeah, it is. But Meyer's gonna do everything he thinks he can to try to win. And it's a shame that this is the road that he went down. But it, it, I guess it shouldn't be all that surprising that someone with some sort of checkered background is involved with an Urban Meyer program because that's kind of been a staple in his program, sadly. I do not stand by the decision. I know you don't, Jeremy. Generation Jaguar as a whole, as a company, we do not stand by this. It's wrong. And it's just sad that we've had to spend the first 10 minutes of the show talking about it. It makes me want to just drop the mic and not talk about anything else that Urban Meyer has done thus far. Just because it's so horrific, in my opinion. But that wouldn't be fair to the fans, to the listeners. Because there is a lot, a lot of good when you talk about football. There's a lot of good in this coaching staff. And I will say, I don't think that Doyle is going to bring racism into the Jaguars program in terms of like splintering the team, the coaching staff. Hopefully some of these players will come out and say something about it, but who knows how that'll play out. But, you know, most of the Jaguars players are black. Half of the coaching staff is black. If they're okay with it, that's shocking to me. But, um, you know, we don't need to talk about this all day. So I, I just, I don't know what else to say about it. Yeah, I mean, you there's there's nothing else to say. You kind of just leave it as it is and move on. And um, I think that's what the Jaguars should do as well. And, and not in the sense of move on and, and let this stand. I think they need to make the correct decision cut the ties with this guy and then move on. Yeah. It's a shame, but there, there is a lot of good to get to. We can start with Daryl Bevel running urban Myers offense. Meyer says that he has a clear vision for the offense that he wants to run. And Bevel is going to run urban Myers offense. Meyer will not be calling the plays, but it will be his offense that he wants to run. Um, Bevel alluded to the young quarterback that they're going to get, who's going to be the focal point of that offense. 
We all know who that's going to be. Bevel and company are going to be at that throwing session on Friday. So that'll be that'll be fun to see what they what they see from Lawrence there. I'm guessing you're going to see a ton of RPOs, zone rushing attack, quick strike and vertical principles, a lot of pre-snap and post-snap movement, and a lot of different play designs from similar looks that's going to be like tendency breakers, which you just didn't see a lot of that from Jacksonville uh, maybe ever. No, not at all. And and I love what Bevel is going to bring to this offense. Um, and I love that they get a jump start at knowing who their quarterback is going to be, what the offense is going to look like. They've got some pieces in place. You know, they're already ahead of the curve. Um, and, and like you said, when I think about what Bevel is going to bring to Jacksonville, obviously you've got to think back to what you've seen in Detroit recently. And I think that that's exactly the kind of offense that Trevor Lawrence is going to thrive in. Like you said, it seems to be pretty simple. A lot of the same formations, but a lot of variation in the formations with movement, uh, with route combos, play calling, zone blocking schemes. So everything looks the same, but it's always different. It's a great scheme that's going to confuse a lot of defenses, and I like that. I think it's going to be great for a young quarterback to come in and really get a grip on the NFL and a system that I think is going to cater um, to his strong arm and to the speed we have on the outside. But the person that I'm most happy for and excited for and and, and really um, longing to see what they're going to do in this offense is James Robinson. If you look back at those Lions teams, they've never had that guy in the backfield to really take the load off Matthew Stafford's shoulders and to really help that run game become a legitimate concern. A lot of times the Lions get one dimensional and that's not a good uh, winning strategy in the NFL or really in football ever. So I think James Robinson is going to thrive in this vertical zone scheme. And I think having a legitimate workhorse running back in this offense is going to pay dividends for Bevel. Yeah, I do too. It's going to be really exciting to see him in 2021. And he, I think it was with PFT recently, he said that the main thing he's going to be working on this offseason is speed. So, I mean, he's got everything else and his speed. It's not like it's not there. He's definitely fast enough. Uh, But if he's able to just get an extra gear, extra little gear, that would just make him that much better as a running back for the Jaguars. So, yeah, that's very exciting. Um, On the offensive staff, I think one of the more interesting guys is Tyler Bowen, the tight end coach from Penn State. He called their uh, their Cotton Bowl game where they scored a school record for points in a bowl game. And he obviously has a connection with Pat Fryermuth, who's a tight end coming out of Penn State. So that'll be really interesting to see if he kind of pounds the table for Pat there, uh, maybe in the second round. Yeah, he's a guy getting his first shot, um, you know, in a real legitimate role in the NFL. Um, like you said, he's had some success in college as a tight ends coach and also as a co-offensive coordinator, um, and has done a great job there. Uh, Friar Muth is a guy who's going to be on the Jaguars board. Uh, he's not a guy that I'm totally sold on yet, but having Tyler Bowen on this coaching staff is really going to make that matchup seem like a match made in heaven. I mean, really, let's think about it. You know, a guy who's going to potentially, like you said, make a case for uh, a tight end that we have seen play extremely well in the college level. Uh, And, you know, it's a need that needs to be filled on this team. The Jaguars haven't had a good tight end. And, you know, I can't remember how long, let's be quite honest. Uh, So I think it's a perfect fit. And, and, you know, if it works out that way, I think it's fantastic. 
Yeah, anybody else on the offensive staff that you're really intrigued by? I am intrigued uh, in the passing game coordinator, Brian Schottenheimer, just because of the pedigree uh, that he comes from and you know the offenses that he has gotten to work in um, in the NFL. I think he's going to bring really just a refreshing aspect on the passing game. I think it's going to create a two-headed monster between uh, Bevel and Schottenheimer for Trevor Lawrence. And you know, really, when you look around the league, there aren't a lot of, of coaching staffs that look like this are setting a guy like this up for success you have a lot of experience on this coaching staff not just at the college level um you know with with charlie strong obviously on defense and urban meyer you know two guys who have seen legitimate success in the college ranks but a lot of guys who have seen you know a lot of success in the nfl as well i think you're getting a lot of experience and a lot of uh fresh looks and the jaguars are really going to start turning the tables i think in the nfl i think it's gonna be very very um different in in regards to you know new schemes a uh, new way of playing i think the jaguars are going to be on the front end uh, of turning trends in the nfl yeah hopefully they will be now there are four holdovers from the previous regime in terms of the coaching staff which is kind of cool for those guys and it it's all guys that I like. George Warhop, he's going to be the offensive line coach. He got the best out of every single player on that offensive line last year, except for Jawan Taylor, in my opinion. And Jawan's obviously in a, a big year going into his third year. But I think he's a co- I mean, it's a guy that got a lot out of A.J. Can. I mean, he saw uh, Linder play great football at center. He saw Andrew Norwell have his best season in Jacksonville as a Jaguar and Cam Robinson the same way. So I think that's a good guy to keep Uh, Joe Dana and Tim Walton. They'll be in the secondary as they were before. Dana is going to be the nickel specialist for the secondary. Tim Walton's going to be the cornerback specialist. And then Tony Gilbert, he's going to be the assistant linebackers coach under um, Charlie Strong and Zach Orr. So I'm happy to have all those guys back. Uh, I think that's great. And if you didn't catch it there, there is so much more individualized coaching positions on this staff than there has been in the past. You talk about, like you mentioned, the passing game coordinator with Schottenheimer. Um, You've got an inside linebackers coach, an outside linebackers coach. You've got a safety coach, a nickel coach, a cornerback coach. You've got all sorts of specialized, individualized attention that these players are going to be receiving from very good quality coaches. And I think that's pretty exciting. I think that was part of Urban's demands. I don't want to say demands, but I guess demands when he was talking to Shot about accepting this job. He wanted to obviously mold the coaching staff exactly the way he wanted it, but there had to have been a push for a larger staff. This is the one of the largest staffs we've seen um, in Jaguars history. And I think it's great because you're going to be getting a lot of different looks. The Jaguars have never shown in the past offensively and defensively. So you need somebody who specializes in all those little different areas because you're going to have guys that haven't ever done it before. So why not break it down, have more individualized uh, coaching positions inside linebackers, outside linebackers, because in one scheme, the inside linebackers and outside linebackers are going to be doing completely different things than the other scheme. So you can't always just have one coach. I think this reflects more so on the way uh, the college coaching staffs are kind of molded. Obviously, you have a lot more players on a college football team, but um, the the individualized position coaches um, are going to give a lot more depth. The team is going to know everything inside and out, and I think it's only going to benefit the team. 
Yeah, and you got to admit, Charlie Strong looks damn good in teal, doesn't he? <laughs> Charlie Strong, man, I he's he's a. Uh, I know you have mixed he left feelings. Me with a bad taste last time he came around my way down here in Tampa, um, but you know I'm excited. He's a guy that has obviously had success. I think he's a great defensive mind. Uh, maybe the head coaching realm was a little bit too much for him. Um, probably recruiting. I don't think recruiting was really his thing. Um, but he's got a great defensive mind, and I think you know as a linebackers coach, he's going to flourish. And we already have a great linebacker room, so. Let's get him coached up right, and, and and hopefully, you know, they'll be at the top of the league next year. Yeah, he talked very glowingly about Miles Jack and Joe Schobert. I think he said uh, they're going to be the cornerstones of the defense or something like that. That's not the exact wording he used, but he basically said um, that he's really fired up for both of those guys. Both of them are are learners. He can tell already they want to get better. They want to grow in their positions. And he thinks that they can be very good for the Jaguars. And I absolutely feel the same way, especially about Miles Jack. Um, So Joe Cullen, and there's a bunch of guys coming over with him from Baltimore as the defensive coordinator. Uh, They're not establishing whether they're going to do a 3-4 or a 4-3. But Charlie Strong did say they're going to be very multiple with their fronts. So I think you're going to see a combination of three down linemen, four down linemen, different combinations of linebackers, safeties, etc. As we've got a dog with a squeaky toy back here. <laughs> Always the perfect time. Always the perfect timing. But I think, you know, you're right. It's It's going to be a collaborative effort. And I think that's something that's going to really bode well, um, especially for the team defensively, you know, given the amount of talent that I think they have and that they're going to get, being able to utilize that talent in multiple fronts, multiple looks, um, you know, it's going to be something that that teams have not had to plan for in the past uh, when they come to play the Jaguars or the Jaguars go to play them. It's just not something the team uh, has been very strong with over the past few years. So seeing what Colin has done with the Ravens defense really excites me. Um, and then listening to everything that Charlie Strong had to say today also really excites me. You know, he mentioned the multiple fronts. He mentioned the multiple looks. We know the change is coming. And, you know, with this much more inclusive staff and with the experience they have, especially on the defensive side of the ball, you know, if they make it a collaborative effort like they think they're going to, they're going to be very successful. Charlie Strong and Joe Colon putting those two heads together, I think you're going to create a great offensive power. I mean, defensive power, excuse me. Yeah, I agree. And I I like Tosh Lupoy as well, the defensive line coach. Um, He's had a lot of success as a young guy, rising up through the ranks pretty quickly. And then you look at um, Zach Orr from Baltimore as well. That's obviously a huge get. And Chris Ash, I mean, this is a guy that was a head coach a couple years ago at Rutgers. He's obviously climbed the mountain of college football as well, didn't really succeed in the recruiting department, kind of like Charlie Strong. But you've just got some really strong defensive minds on that side of the ball, and all of them are really high energy. I think that's one principal staple you're going to see from a Joe Cullen defense. It's going to be high energy all the time. There's a lot of energy all over the staff, even into uh, the strength and the conditioning room. I mean, I love Anthony Schlegel. Um, I love the hire. I love the intensity, the fire he's going to bring. Obviously, another college guy. I mean, top to bottom, I think Urban really did a fantastic job with, like you said, getting guys with knowledge in every phase on both sides of the ball, bringing a group of guys together that I think 
their schemes, and their football philosophy are just really going to intertwine extremely well. I think this staff is poised to really turn this team around. Yeah, and I guess the one question on the defensive side of the ball is, is Joe Cullen ready to be calling plays for an entire game instead of just focusing on the defensive line? I think I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, but it's still something that he's going to have to prove, absolutely. And then on special teams, you've got Brian Schneider, another Seattle connection. Well, I mean, how many Seattle coaches do you have on this staff? You have the last two offensive coordinators from Seattle and Bevel and Schottenheimer. You've got Sanjay Lal, who was an offensive assistant for them last year. He's now your wide receiver coach. You've got Brian Schneider, who's their former special teams coordinator. He's now your special teams coordinator. He's a guy I really like in terms of the energy he brings. I don't know if he's going to be quite as loud and demonstrative as the guy he's replacing. And uh, Joe DiCamillis, who's a legend. I love that guy. Uh, But Snyder is fun in his own right. And uh, he had Seattle special teams. A lot of the years he was there, they were among the best in terms of kick return, punt return, getting blocks on field goals, punts, and scoring touchdowns on special teams. Yeah. I mean, obviously the last... You know, the the last exposure we had to anything from Seattle left a bad taste in our mouth. So I can see the hesitation uh, that some people are talking about when they when they say that, you know, we just love Seattle guys. But I think, again, this is more just kind of the way everyone's scheme fits together. Um, you know, if it, it just kind of fell that way, I think. And, and you know, it, Gus Bradley, God love him, you know, it. it as a motivator, it was fantastic. As a coach, sure, but things did not go over well. But I don't think that we can uh, really harbor those bad feelings for anything coming from Seattle since then. I, you know, I've seen that pop up on social media a little bit. But I think just if you look at all of these different coaches, what their schemes looked like in their respective places of employment prior to this, it just all meshes really, really, really well. Um, you know, and and the guys that we did hold over, like you said, uh, a few minutes ago, are are great. Carryovers, you know, Warhop, you're right. That offensive line, I don't think is as good as it's been playing. Uh, you have a couple guys out there, you know, who who are really bona fide stars, I think, and Brandon Linder. Um, Norwell should be a lot better, but, you know, two young tackles and AG Can, a guy who's never really lived up uh, to much of anything, in my opinion. He has been below average his entire career. They played really well. I think that's a guy that I'm very glad they kept around. I would love to see them keep a couple more guys, maybe Keenan McCardell. I think he had a great impact on the wide receiver yeah. room as soon as he stepped in the building. Um, he's you know been here for the past few years, and I think um, the the uh, the young core that we have in that room, I don't think we would be there today without him. Would have loved to have seen him stuck around as a Jaguar guy as well. Um, you know, But it is what it is. I'm still excited. Yeah, and Keenan got a job immediately. He's going to get to to get to coach up uh, Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, so that'll be good for him. I'm happy for him, and I, I do like Sanjay Law. He did great work with the Cowboys receiving uh, receiving group when he was there, and I think he just didn't get um, retained by the Cowboys when uh, when their new head coach came in. So I think he'll be he'll be a good guy to have on the staff, and it's a fresh set of eyes, a fresh, you know, take on the receiver position, which I don't think will be bad by any means for the for DJ Charks and LaVisca Chenault to get, you know, a new 
way of thinking about certain things. Yeah, I haven't previously um, had much uh, knowledge of Sanjay Law, but um, you know, it will be something that I focus on pretty heavily coming into this year as a guy who, you know, I think they should have you know kept the job in Mercado's hands. So hopefully he can come in and, and keep that young room improving because there's a lot of promise in that room, and we're going to need it uh, to get Trevor on the right track. Yeah, I think he will. Uh, I wasn't super familiar with him before the hire, but everything I've researched uh, has been very positive about him. And he has a long track record of success in the NFL at the wide receiver spot, uh, coaching wide receivers. And back to Snyder for the special teams, it does help him out that he's got a hell of a kicker and a hell of a punter <laughs> to to start off his career in Jacksonville here as the special let's, teams coach. Yeah, let's just so, hope that Lambo's leg comes back in full force, though, man. I really hope that uh, – you know, that was yeah. a big thing last year. You know, special teams crumbled. It really did. Yeah, got to get that, that – Yeah, for the majority up. of the year, special teams was just non-existent. So, you know, starting fresh, that's something that the Jaguars have to improve on. Um, I think they will. I think, you know, hopefully he'll be back in full force. Yeah, I think I think he will be. I don't think it was a career-threatening type of injury. Hopefully he still does have the same leg power and confidence and accuracy and all that stuff. But I don't think there's any reason to doubt that he will at this point. Uh, I don't have anything else to say about the coaching staff at this point. You got anything else No, I think we us? covered it all. I think we covered it all. Um, again, just I'm really, really excited. Yeah, pumped about everybody except for the sports uh, sports performance, but we talked about that enough. Now, moving past coaching, what what you have next on the NFL calendar coming up in just a little over a month is free agency. And then, you know, a month and a half after that, a little less than a month and a half after that, you've got the draft. And we're not going to get too hot and heavy into, like, specific takes today about um, – the full free agent class or the full draft class, even though I did just do a 53 man roster scenario that you can go check out at gymchack.com. But uh, we're not going to get all the way into that. Instead, I kind of wanted to just talk about the philosophy of how to build this Jaguars roster in the 2021 off season. Um, and before we get into that with free agency, I would like to remind you, go follow Jeremy on Twitter at Jeremy Markoski. Follow myself at Jordan Lugo and Generation Jaguar, at Generation Jag. So getting into this free agency philosophy I want to talk about. Uh, a lot of people have been talking about, you know, you got to build through the draft. And I absolutely agree with that. Um, and I'm going to explain why that just isn't feasible right now. You have to, You have to stay water. You have to be able to adjust your philosophy based on the cards you've been dealt and the cards the Jaguars have been dealt this year. They do not have a lot of in-house players that they have drafted that they're going to need to resign right now. They just don't. Um, and they have $77 million in projected cap space, the most in football. If they release Tyler Eifert and AJ can, you're up to 87 million. Uh, I absolutely believe in the build through the draft philosophy but like I said, the Jaguars don't have any players going into their second contract to re-sign for big money right now outside of DJ Chark, who still has a year on his rookie deal. Uh, signing outside free agents this offseason, it's going to be like signing a draft class from four to five years ago. 
The Jaguars don't have any draftees to resign this year. Again, outside of DJ Chark, if you want to extend him early, which I am in favor of. But adding four to five primetime players, at least with this 77 or $87 million that you've got going into free agency, you can make up for the fact that your draft classes didn't work out and that you had to trade away some of these players that did work out. Sure, you could bring back Smoot or Cole, uh, but these guys are not going to define this team and they're not going to impact the salary cap all that much. Couldn't agree more. The Jaguars are in this situation by their own doing. I mean, it just is what it is. You know, the the roster turnover, everything that's gone on over the past three years since that improbable AFC championship run, the Jaguars are in their own pool here. And you can't, you cannot build through the draft if you want to win within the next year or two. And that's what the Jaguars are going to be looking at. Why? Because you're getting a franchise quarterback with a number one overall pick and a generational player. Your window opens now, and we've seen with teams like Seattle, like Los Angeles, that window is not open for long. So if you want to prolong that window, you want to get to a point where you're consistently good, you've got to have guys who, yes, you built the team on your cornerstones, and they have to be here for more than two years before you get rid of them. And that's how you start to build a prolonged franchise, a good team. But you cannot do that right now. The Jaguar situation is not that. That's not going to work, exactly like you said. So what do you do? You're starting from scratch. You're starting from the ground up. You go out, like you said, sign four or five premier guys, game-changing guys who are immediately going to step on to the field, assume a starting position, and change the way this team plays every Sunday. It doesn't matter who's already there. That cannot be a thought anymore. The NFL is not this league where you're grooming players for three or four years anymore. You need to win. You need to win now. That's what it's all about. There's nobody. Well, I'm not going to say nobody, but there's probably only about five guys collectively on both sides of the ball that I'll point to today and say that guy right there is going to be the starter at his positional group come this fall. You obviously know the quarterback situation. You know your running back situation. You know your your starting wide receiver for now. Even I think that that position could be improved. Defensively, you've got Josh Allen and probably CJ Henderson on the backside, but that's really it besides Miles Jack in the linebacking court. So what? That's six guys who you know that this time at the start of the season are going to be cornerstone guys. You don't have that luxury. So these four or five premier guys that you sign, they're going to become your current cornerstones. And yeah, some of them are older, so you are only going to have them for four or five years. You know that. You're planning for that. So then in the draft, you draft the next cornerstones, the next guy. So by that time that these older veterans have moved up and moved out, now you've got your own veterans, homegrown veterans, team-grown veterans that you've grown through the draft. Now you can begin to grow through the draft. The Jaguars cannot be uh, brittle and cannot be feeble in this free agency period. They just cannot. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, you do want to build through the draft and your opportunity to start doing that starts with the 2021 draft class and with a few other guys like you mentioned. Obviously, you think C.J. Henderson's going to be a starting cornerback. You like Josh Allen. You probably like Caleb on Chase on. 
uh, James Robinson. But again, all these guys are super young. You don't have to worry about their contracts for three to four years uh, at the earliest. And DJ Chark is the only one you got to worry about signing anytime soon. Um, I think they should go ahead and and get ahead of that and sign him before the season starts because I think you get him Trevor Lawrence and a few more weapons around him, he's just going to be unguardable and he's going to have a huge year. So go ahead and sign him before that. And that won't affect your 2021 cap because it's an extension. It starts in 2022. So I think you should definitely do that. But a couple more notes I have on this free agency philosophy for this year. I've, I've been seeing a lot of people uh, saying the draft is risky. Free agency is risky. It's like, yeah, it is risky. Talent acquisition is a crapshoot. But just because it's risky doesn't mean you don't take the calculated risk. If you don't swing, you're not going to get hits or misses. You're just not going to get anything. You've got to try to acquire talent via free agency and via the draft. You can't just sit here and be like, oh, it's too risky. It is risky. But you've got to try to make these calculated risks and hit on some of these guys. And um, going back to free agency specifically, you've got to go get guys that you're going to pay big money right now while Trevor is on his rookie deal, as you mentioned. And then when you're ready to sign Trevor to his long-term deal in four or five years, these guys are going to be off the books. So you start paying Trevor and re-signing some of your other good draft picks that we've mentioned and the guys that you're going to be drafting in the next couple of years. That's when you start building through the draft. If you don't spend in free agency this year, you're taking away a massive advantage that you have as the Jaguars because there are a ton of guys that are going to find their way to the open market this year because teams are cash-strapped this offseason due to the reduced cap. So not only do the Jaguars have an advantage because they have the massive cap, but other teams have such little cap uh, maneuverability. Uh, So you got to take a advantage of this in 2021 because that advantage if you just hold on to your cap space for 2022 is going to be mitigated uh, because the cap will start to rise back up and other teams will start to have more space you've got to strike while the iron is hottest and it's hottest right now you've got to spend money and you've got to do it when you have this clear monetary advantage and do you not want to give Trevor the best chance to succeed early? Yeah, I mean, it just it, talent acquisition is a risk, just like you said. It's a gamble, it is, but it's a fixed risk. It's a fixed gamble in the right situation. The reason why I say that is because you can have the best scouts, you can have the best talent evaluating guys, you can have all of that. The Jaguars just haven't in the past, and I think that's where this innate fear of drafting players, um, you know, that aren't a safe bet or taking a risk on a free agent or doing this or doing that. That's where so many fans are rubbed wrong. It's because the last regime, they were an absolute crap hole when it came to talent acquisition and properly scouting talent. I understand that. And the regime before them, they weren't great at it either. So the Jaguars fans um, and, you know, their followers have been ingrained this knowledge that every draft pick, every free agent signing, is not going to work out, and I get that. I understand where they're coming from, but now we have a new regime. Again, one with the most um, credit to their name prior to becoming a staff. You know, this, this we haven't been in this situation before, so I think you know if there was ever a time to put all your eggs in one basket and really 
trust that this regime, this staff can do the right thing. It's got to be now. You cannot have that thought process of, well, we can't take this guy or that guy. The risk is too high. You've just got to go do it. Take the best guy available. Take who's there. Take who is going to really improve the football team. The risk can be rewarding. And it can be, uh, like you said, mitigated. It can be controlled. You know, if you've got the right guys in place scouting these players and, you know, and, and scouting this talent, the risk is not as great as a reward is going to be, in my opinion. Now, if you don't have the right guys in place doing that, then obviously the risk is much greater than the reward because you're going to miss. I think, you know, quite personally, um, that's kind of what happened with Chase on. You know, hopefully he can turn around next year, but that was a risk and that one was missed. But, um, you know, you got to trust that these guys are going to do the right thing going forward. This is a new regime. It's a new time in Jacksonville. It's a new time for the Jaguars. Things can be different. Yeah, and my last point when it just comes to talking about free agency and not specific players, um, I think so many people, uh, they look at, okay, you've got $77 million in projected cap space, maybe $87 million. Well, if you sign... X player to a $20 million deal and another player to a $20 million deal, half your cap is gone. That's simply not the case. You can say a lot of negative things about Shad Khan in terms of what he's been able to do as the Jaguars owner from an on-field perspective, but one thing that he absolutely uh, is able to do and give the Jaguars an advantage in and free agency is he is always willing to spend money out of his pocket to give these guys big signing bonuses, which get prorated over the length of the contract, which essentially has been reducing these cap hits by half for the first year. And then also allowing the Jaguars to basically have an out after two to three years. The way they've been able to structure contracts, because Shad Khan is willing to spend his own money on these signing bonuses, is so advantageous. So you could be looking at Let's just say the top two guys that is on everybody's minds, Trent Williams and Allen Robinson, you can sign them both for $20 million a year uh, over five years, whatever you want to do, whatever length you say, and you can only have to pay them in terms of 2021 cap hit, $20 million combined. And then you're still sitting flush with uh, 47 to $57 million. <laughs> I mean... You have so much available to you because of the way Shad Khan is willing to. Yeah, the intricacies of the NFL cap situation is something that definitely does not get enough credit, like you said, especially from the Jaguars' perspective. Because you're absolutely right; that money doesn't take uh, doesn't take a cap hit. Those offset bonuses, and uh, you know, it's something that we have been seeing in the NFL over the last few years. Um, you know. Owners that have more money that are willing to spend more can offset these big salaries with big bonuses, and it puts the team in a better situation. Uh, you know, it can set you up for, you know, these these really I don't want to say super teams because this isn't the NBA, but I mean, you saw it in New Orleans, you saw it in a couple other places. They just didn't structure the deals quite right and got themselves into sticky situations when players stuck around and you weren't able to get out from underneath the contracts. But you're exactly right. There's no reason not to spend it all. Really, because you're thinking, like you're saying, that it's only going to come out to about four guys, but it really come out to a lot more at a lot cheaper than fans are thinking. Go gung-ho. Go all in this time. And because 
the cap is going to be increasing year over year, generally by about $10 million when the NFL starts getting its revenue back up to where they want. The impact of these signings is mitigated even more because the cap is rising. Now, for an example of what I'm talking about with this uh, signing bonus situation, let's just look at Joe Schobert last year. The Jaguars signed him uh, for an average salary of $10.75 million per year. Guess what their cap hit was for Joe Schober last year? Oh, you want me to guess? Yeah. Ooh, so you said the yeah. sentiment. Um, four million. Oh, I was five point four. It's just exact, almost exactly half of what his actual average salary is, and the reason that is the case is because they gave him a twelve million dollar signing bonus. So his cap hit for year one is only $5.4 million, even though his dead cap is $21.7. And dead cap is basically, if you released him, how much you would still owe. So, And the way this deal is structured, because there's so much signing bonus, you can get out of it after year two, and uh, you would end up saving... Five million if you got out of it after year two, and every year after that you end up saving even more. And let's not forget uh, these so, cap penalties that players would incur should they be cut, traded, etc. are also spread out amongst the remaining years on the contract. So, like you're saying, exactly. yes, a twenty million dollar so, hit this year would be spread into five million dollar increments over four years. But as time goes, that cap penalty minimizes. And it also gets spread out to the many years of the contract. So there are outs, there are ways, uh, you know, if you need to maneuver in the end. Yeah, so you can't be passive here. You got to go get your guys this offseason to help Trevor Lawrence be as successful as he possibly can be early on in his career. And then you build around him from there on out. Uh, But then just getting into kind of where we might attack in free agency, I'm I'm just going to go ahead and list off where I'd be spending my money, probably. I'm signing a left tackle. I'm maybe signing an interior offensive lineman if you can go get a guy like Corey Lindsley, who worked with uh, Urban at Ohio State, obviously. I'm signing at least one big-time wide receiver, maybe two wide receivers that that cost a pretty penny. Uh, I'm probably going to wait for tight end for the draft just because I think – Tight end isn't going to be the most important position in Urban Meyer's scheme. It hasn't been over the last decade plus of him coaching in college. I do think it'll be important, but I don't think it's absolutely one of the most important positions. I'm signing a starting defensive lineman that's a big man because I know with the 3-4 principles they're going to instill, they need some more big guys. And I'm probably signing three starters in the secondary, at least two. Hopefully one of them is Sidney Jones that you're bringing back because I think he'll be a relatively cheap signing. But what do you think, think about all that? I think that the first place you need to go is the offensive line. Bolster it. I don't care if you think that anybody on that team can play or anybody on that line can play. If there's somebody better, go get them. The investment you're about to make in the quarterback of your franchise, the cornerstone, the most important position on the field, you need to protect him. We cannot have a Joe Burrow incident. Cannot just throw him back there to the Wolves. That is not going to pick up or not lead to him picking up success early on. So I say bolster the offensive line. Go get an offensive tackle. If Cam Robinson can't compete, move him to the other side. If he can't compete there, move him inside. If he can't compete there, depth. 
You can never have enough depth. That's what this team has always lacked, I think, because a situation like this arises. Well, we think this guy can play. We know Trent Williams is better. We know there's a tackle out there that we could potentially trade for. That's probably better. You know, I get it. This guy's young, but it's it's too late for that. We need to win. If there's somebody better, go get them. And then, again, I agree with you. We're going heavy on the defensive side of the ball, the defensive line. Go get me Leonard Williams. Go get me a big body, a powerful body who can play both roles and both fronts. I think he is dynamic um, and just an absolute game changer. You've got ties to Judon now with with Cullen here, um, you know, and, and definitely go bolster that secondary. You're going to get a couple guys in the draft, but that secondary is so thin. It wouldn't hurt to sign a couple more. I'm not necessarily sure that you need to go make a big splash on wide receiver. Um, I'm actually probably not in the population, uh, the majority of population here that thinks that we should go get Allen Robinson. I don't think that's a great idea personally. I really don't. I think there is either, uh, you know, younger, more, um, more attractive options in free agency or more attractive options in the draft. What do you think about Curtis, Curtis Samuel? Samuel? Is an intriguing, an intriguing thought in my mind. I mean, he's got speed, he's got great upside. I really like Godwin. If if Tampa Bay is not going to bring back Chris Godwin, I think that's my. I think they will too. I think but they will. right now he's I not, and so I see him as a free agent right now, and that's my number one guy in that area. I again, I do like Samuel, um, but I think Godwin's a more polished receiver. Samuel is a speed guy, a trick guy. Yeah, Samuel is more of a. Uh... More of a yeah, you're, you're going to put him in motion. You're going to give him the ball on a sweep. You know, you're going to RPO him to the outside. But Chris Godwin is the guy that you line up every single down. He's running routes. He's out there. That's my number one wide receiver in free agency. Not Allen Robinson. I know the Allen Robinson come home train has left the station in full force. Um, and it's just chugging along. But I don't think that's a good idea financially and for the team. I really don't. I think you're paying an aging wide receiver um, who – He's, he's 27. I mean, he's well, entering you, his prime. Is he, though? I mean, you, what, he's not. I don't think he's one of those yeah. top-tier guys that's going to be effective and play, you know, a ball until he's 33, 34. I, I personally don't see it. Well, I don't I don't think that matters, though, because like we've said with these contracts, three years and you're done if, if it, you want to be. Yeah, so I think – and that gives you that wiggle room for when you're trying to get Trevor Lawrence. And if the you think he's going to be at the signed. top of his game – like the peak of his game over the next three years, then okay. I think then over okay. the next two, then I, for but sure. I don't. I, I don't think that. And I think he's the most complete receiver out there, 100%. My thing with Godwin is I think he is – he's obviously not as polished as Allen Robinson. I'll admit that. He's not the most well-rounded receiver yet. But the biggest intrigue and in, in, – in, what really brings me to Godwin, and I know that this is really this kind of goes against what we've been talking about, you know, being able to get out of some of these veteran contracts after three or four years, is Godwin is still young enough that he might get two contracts with this team should he come to Jacksonville free agency. He's still young enough where he might get another one. He might become that second cornerstone guy who gets another contract, you know, becomes that that veteran. You're not going to get that in Allen Robinson. Some of those other guys, you know, this is going to be it for you. This is a one contract free agency period, in my opinion, for a lot of these guys. Most of these guys at the top are in their late 20s. This is probably going to be it. This is going to be their last big contract that they're going to receive. So I think with the exception of Godwin and a few other guys on that list, you know, this this is going to be it. So that's a guy that I think you can look forward, not just to the immediate future, but the far future as well in your plans overall. 
Yeah, I think the biggest point here is they do have options at receiver to go get a guy that's going to be making a big impact for Trevor Lawrence. When you go back to Curtis Samuel, we did mention that he's more of an X-factor type of guy. He's going to get handed the ball. He's going to be all over the place in motion. Uh, He really, really impressed me this year. And he's super familiar with um, Urban Meyer from Ohio State. He caught 79.4% of his passes this year. Uh, pretty impressive. And he, he still averaged um, over 11 yards a catch. So it's not like it was, you know, well, he caught it, but he yeah, only got three like yards. You know? But the only drawback to Curtis Samuel that I can see here is, doesn't he kind of just feel like he would just fit right into the role that LaVisca already occupies for us? I really think LaVisca is going to play outside more than most people think. And he did as a rookie. He played outside primarily. But if you have two guys that can go do – X factor type of stuff. I I think in an Urban Meyer offense, that's going to be tough. yeah, and especially when we're talking about all of the motion stuff that you're going to see in Bevel's offense, all of the the looks that are going to be the exact same for the defense, but the scheme's going to be different, the route combination going to be different, the motion's going to be different. Maybe you're right. Having two of those guys can just add more confusion, add more deception to that offensive scheme. Yeah. So now I I have a couple scenarios because. They have been, uh, you know, highly debated over the last few days over this week on Jaguars Twitter. So Orlando Brown, he's the Orlando Brown Jr. Ravens offensive tackle. They drafted him. We're playing him at right tackle. He had to fill in at left tackle this year because Ronnie Stanley got injured. Didn't give up a sack in 13 games at left tackle. He wants to be traded. The Ravens are open to trading him, but you're obviously going to have to give up quite a bit. So the debate has been. Trent Williams, who you have to just pursue in free agency, he's 32 years old, but still, I mean, arguably the best left tackle in football. Or do you go try to pursue Orlando Brown, which you could pursue him now before free agency, but you're going to be giving up draft capital to go get him. My take on this, yeah, my take on this is not the popular one from what I've seen so far, but to hell with Trent Williams, go get Brown. Like I, I, I don't think this is a debate at all, in my personal opinion, and here's why. Kind of what we just talked about with Chris Godwin. He is a young guy who I don't even think he's on a second contract yet. I don't know if they extended it. They didn't extend it right now. They only extended no. Stanley. So, Right. They have not extended him. He would he would be needing a contract if not this well, year. Well, given how things have, have kind of run year. in the past, he's not being traded due to his lack of negotiation on a contract. So I'm assuming he's still going to be uh, pretty easy to talk to in the beginning in regards to an extension. So here's the first thing is, is Trent Williams that much better than Brown? Mm, I think he, I, mean, I, I, I think don't think he's he is, that much. I think he's better. He's better right now. And I think he's more scheme versatile too. That's another thing no one's talking about. Uh, Trent Williams, because of his athleticism, he can do anything you ask. The reason Orlando Brown fell in the draft is because he doesn't move. He's just a massive man that can get in your way and outpower you. So that's but, just. One but he just showed you how good he can be. And there's a reason, you know. And I think I think that's yeah, that's absolutely. that's the main point right there. Is yes, is Trent Williams better? And maybe there's some versatility things. I think you can coach versatility. You know, if you want this guy to be. The athleticism, no, but, but he's—it's not like he's not athletic. You know, he's an NFL offensive lineman. He's athletic. He Slow him down a little bit. Work on his footwork. I guarantee you can—you can make him a little bit more versatile. Will he ever be as versatile as Trent Williams? 
maybe not. I mean, that's fair. That's fair. That's a great argument. I agree with you on that. But the age, the ability to maybe extend first before you have to give him a huge contract, you're looking at maybe six years. You know, he could be in Jacksonville for six years. He's going to be another one of those cornerstone guys. Trent Williams, you're not going to get that out of him. You're going to get three, four years if you're lucky. You might. You might but, Andrew Whitworth is yeah, going to play until he's 50. Those are, like. those are golden eggs. Those are so far off. I just think that's what Trent Williams is, though, man. I think he's just he's just one of those. He's a Hall yeah, of Famer. He is. You know? I, you know, I just. I don't. I don't see it. But, I don't okay. see. I don't see it in, in, not, in the sense of. I would trade the twenty fifth overall pick, and a later pick. I, I and a later pick. I wouldn't go too far. Is I mean, that really, I think the Ravens are a really tough position here. I really think they are. I think they'll probably. I don't think a lot of people. Let's say fifteen and up. I don't think anybody fifteen one to fifteen. They're not going to be looking to move. I think for that guy. I, I I don't see it personally. So you're looking at. I agree, but maybe they want that twenty fifth. They're going to want and that's too much. Forty six. I'm saying twenty fifth and a late third, early fourth. Um, I wouldn't go break, you know, break your back for them because you do have other options. Um, so you know, it's not it's not a make or break thing. But I think if the cards fall right and the Ravens aren't going to, you know, gouge anybody, and I don't think they're in the position to be able to do that because. I think he wouldn't play if they said we're sticking at right tackle sucks to suck. He, he's not going to play. So the Ravens Sounds are going like to be it. kind of in a tough situation. Kind of like the Jaguars were with Jalen Ramsey, um, different caliber player, obviously. And the Jaguars got a huge hole and looking at all that. Now the Rams just keep spiraling further and further down. So kudos to the Jaguars on a few good things they did during that regime. But I just, I think personally, if the cards fall right, if everything fits and you're not, Overpaying, you're not giving up what you think is he's you know is, is more than what he's worth. Then go for it. I think that's a better situation than Trent Williams, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's fair to argue that side of it. I just think Trent Williams is a better player. I think he's going to play a long time, but Orlando Brown is much younger. I think the great thing to think about here, though, is whichever. I think that Urban Meyer and company should identify one of these guys as their top priority to go get and add to your team, whichever one they identify, they should be able to land them because they have more draft capital than most teams. They have enough draft capital that they can trade for him and not worry about not having a great draft class. Cause you still got plenty of draft picks, even if you trade for Brown and then with Trent Williams, nobody's going to outbid you. So either way, whichever one of these guys they identify as who they want, I think they should be able to get, and that would be just huge for. No one's going to outbid you for Trent Williams, but is, is Jacksonville really his top destination? You know, can the, can the Jags really offer? He's right, say, and he will. But money, where baby. where does it get to the point where the Jags are spending too much to make Jacksonville his top destination? That's also something that I think they have to be very cognizant about. I mean, I think they got him for twenty million. I think that's. I think it's. I think you're right. I think that would get it done. And and that's. I mean, that's really like my hard line. I wouldn't pay any more for him because he is 32. Um, you know, you know, you're out. He's out of his his peak elite age. That doesn't that doesn't mean he can't be elite. And he is. And that doesn't mean he can't be elite for three or four more years. But I mean, we've seen players fall off out of nowhere before. Um, 
and this may be something that people don't. Jason Peters, You're man. Right. Jason Peters was playing at an elite level. He got that big money. You know, he's a lot older. He's also he is. a lot he's older. He's like what thirty seven, I think, thirty six. So there's there's definitely some age difference, but it's it's that kind of thing that scares me. You know, what if what if Williams is is what if his cliff is earlier? Than Jason Peters was. That's a possibility too. Or he could be like Whitworth and play forever. And I could be wrong. This is all speculation. This is part of the risk. This is exactly what we were talking about, you know, a couple minutes ago. This is part of the risk. My thing, the way, yeah. But so let's say that, would you not be excited? I'd be ecstatic, be ecstatic either way, to be quite honest with you. It, yeah. And, and I'd be ecstatic for Orlando Brown as well. And one thing I'd, I want to point out about the risk in this, I'm doubling down on offensive tackle. I'm getting another offensive tackle at some point. I don't point disagree because you know what? I, I think Jawan Taylor or Cam Robinson could move inside and play a guard position. Probably Jawan Taylor more than Cam Robinson. He's got the body to build for it. He's a little bit wider. Um, so I, I think that would be a better fit if you were to move one inside. But again, get just get better. You know, just get better. If they're not cutting it, they're not cutting it. That is what it is. Get better. You know, they can provide depth. You can move them around. I, I have no problem with doubling up. Whatever you're doing to make that that position group the best it can be for your fresh new quarterback, I think go do it. What I think they really need to do, though, is, is take both situations, Trent Williams, Orlando Brown, and then, you know, decide amongst themselves which one is number one, which one's number two. What's their top option? But then I think you also need to go through uh, your, you know, your steps with both of them and determine which one is the for sure, you know, home. Like you, it's guaranteed. If, you know, you have, you know what you have in place for Trent Williams to be a guaranteed signing, or you know what you have in place for Orlando Brown to be a guaranteed trade. If that, if, if that aligns correctly and properly, you know, it's one to one go get it. If not, I would understand going for your number one choice a little bit harder, knowing that you have a guaranteed fallback, if that makes sense, if I explained that well. You know, so, you know, if yeah, you know you have that guaranteed definitely. fallback, and I don't think the situations are too far apart from each other to overpay by two insane amounts, but if you know you have one guaranteed, go the extra mile just a little with the other one, with your first choice. And if it doesn't work out, you've got something you know, ready to go immediately. It's probably going to happen, you know, a little bit quicker than we think. I don't think the Ravens are going to want to sit on Orlando Brown up until draft night. I think they want to get that figured out beforehand. Yeah, they're a well-run organization, and I think that they'll get it figured out. Um, Final question for tonight, because we're not even going to attack the draft here. We're going to have to save that for the next episode. Um, Patrick Peterson. He and the Cardinals reportedly will not be getting back together for another go-round at this. Apparently, they're just going to let him hit the open market. He's coming off a couple of down years, but, I mean, a down year for Patrick Peterson. Still saw him pick off three passes and still play excellent when it comes to uh, defending the run on the outside. Are you interested in Patrick Peterson, and do you think maybe he could play safety in Jacksonville? I am interested in Patrick Peterson, um, but not necessarily for what I think he has left in the tank. Um, because, you know, like you said, he, he's starting to kind of slow down, fall off a little bit. Um, he hasn't been the same player he was, but I think he brings a lot of value to the locker room, to leadership, to coaching up young guys, to showing them what it's like to be in the NFL 
something that I don't think this team has had in a while is, is great veteran leadership. Calais was the closest thing that we've had, and it was only one guy. You need more than one guy, and he did a great job. He was only here two years. You know, it, it just you cannot build a great team without great culture. And I think that Patrick Peterson would be a fantastic acquisition for leadership. And he's 30, so he's not, you know, he's not he's not in the graveyard just yet. His career is not in the ditch. He's still got some time. Maybe he could be He's still a playmaker, regardless of if he's Yeah, absolutely. And maybe he can be a guy who does transition to safety. I think his ball skills are still great. Athletically, he's just not where he was five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago. He doesn't match up with these young, fast wide receivers as well as he did. Something that I saw a lot with Rasheen Mathis as he started to get towards the tail end of his career here in Jacksonville, um, you know, just had a tough time keeping up with guys. But you know what? He never lost his ball skills. I always wanted to put him back, move him back to safety. You know, he's still back there. He's still making an impact. You know, and he doesn't have to be matched up one-on-one with these receivers, you know, and, and, and his skills, I think, would thrive much better in the back half of the secondary. I think that's a fantastic thought. Yeah, and Pat Pete, I mean, he can tackle. So that's not going to be too much of a concern, in my opinion, moving him into safety. But, uh yeah, I'd be willing to give him ten million a year for I go that three far. years or and so. I, would also, I was kind of, I was kind of hoping you would transition into the contract. Talk you say, it has to be for the right price. I think ten mil is a lot for a guy that you're bringing in, um, you know, as a leadership role. I think it's worth it, man. I really do, just because. Yeah, Harrison no, I agree. Needs you somebody. need leadership. That's going to be. One of the things that I think will benefit this team in the long run is, is getting somebody. We, this team is so young. Get guys in here; they're going to be able to teach them the right way, like I was just talking about. But I think you still have to make sure the money's right because the Jaguars are in a position where they need to be using a lot of that cap. They need to be, you know, going and getting premier guys. I think if it becomes a difference of getting one or two more guys that you know are going to make more of an impact on the field, then you don't sign them because I think someone is going is willing to pay them. I don't I think you don't go past. You have to worry. About I don't think you pass six or seven million. Do it all, in my opinion, annually. So to just kind of long story short, I know I was getting around it. You asked what was it going to take. I think six or seven million dollars. You stay within that range. Um, you know, maybe a, a, a nice bonus. You know, as a veteran, um, bow to him. But I don't think you go ten million or above. That's fair. I'd give him ten, but that's just me. Again, because you're getting out of it after two years if you don't like what you've got, and that's. No harm, no foul. Uh, so not too big of a deal, and I don't think it would prevent you from signing anyone else just because of how much money you do have. But that's going to do it for this show. Clocking in at just about an hour and nine minutes here. Really appreciate everybody listening. Uh, would like to remind everybody to go check out genjag.com for all the latest Jaguars news and analysis. Follow Jeremy on Twitter at Jeremy Markoski, myself at Jordan DeLugo, Generation Jaguar at Generation Jag. Need to remind everybody, Zach Wilson will go top five, and that is mm-hmm. that's our bet that we've got we going that on. That out. We still have not decided. Let's tell everybody how we're going to do it. The bet is on. Yeah, we've only got <laughs> we we've got less than two months now. Should we let to the figure out in? what we're betting on? But should we let the listeners in on, on the plan the here? Uh, you know, as, as we get a little bit closer. Absolutely, we'll figure it out soon. And if anybody has any ideas for us on this bet, please feel free to reach out. 
Um, but yeah, I have Zach Wilson going top five, and it looks like based on a lot of the reports happening lately that people think he might go number two to the Jets. So that'll be fascinating to watch it all unfold. Uh, big shout out to Bold City Brewery once again, one and only sponsor of the Gin Jag Podcast. Enjoy your weekend, Duval, and please do your part to help end racism. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.